2: Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for being here with us. My name is Lydia Cruz.
0: I'm Justin Stiefel.
2: And I'm Maura Dooley. What's going on uh, this week, guys? What have you guys been up to?
0: Well, this week we are uh, getting ready for the big Viva Las Vegas Rockabilly show in Las Vegas. It is Las Vegas's longest-running music fest. It's in its 21st year. It's a 50s-themed event. Uh, They have over 800 pre-1964 classic cars that they have at the show. Mario, you'll be excited to know there are eight burlesque shows that go on during the weekend. Uh, There's a vintage fashion show. They've got uh, drive sessions, pool parties, hundreds of vendors, live bands. And it runs uh, Thursday through Sunday, so we're halfway through. And uh, they they get over 20,000 visitors a lot oh. of people go to Vegas from around the world just to attend this show, and, and we've got a booth and we're pouring cocktails there, so we're very excited about that.
2: I'm guessing more than a few Elvis impersonators will be in attendance.
0: It's 50s themed, yeah, walkability <laughs> style. Mm-hmm. I imagine there will be some. Yeah, that's right.
2: Are you guys pouring any specific Vegas-themed cocktails or 1950s-themed cocktails for this event?
0: No, this is really about being able to sample the spirits on their own so that people yeah. can uh, get an idea. And then we'll have bartenders on staff to make uh, cocktails that they want to try and mix it in. So it's really kind of wide open.
2: Very cool. Are, is anyone going to be dressed up for this event?
0: Uh, we've got a team down there, so they'll be dressed appropriately. And, Perfect. Uh, we want to we want to make sure that they advertise the Heritage brand. There'll be lots of people in pony skirts and stuff. And we <laughs> want to make sure our brand is is forward for those
2: folks (laughs) very cool in the meantime what else is going on in the headlines
0: well this week our friends the Wu-Tang Clan uh, for those of listeners who don't know that's a a rap hip-hop band that was really big in the 2000s and uh, they have launched their own vodka label and it's going to be starting in Australia they're going to have three flavor expressions they've got strawberry And uh, butterscotch and they've got one other one which is a cream liqueur expression and it's designed to kind of get on the trend of artists and groups entering the liquor space and we've seen this happen across the country with artists bands individual artists and actors getting their own brand and uh, this is not available in the US yet but it is available in Australia and it's gonna run about $15 Australian dollars for people to buy a bottle.
2: I'm honestly surprised that they are just kind of later to this party because Wu-Tang clan was a big part of me, my childhood growing up, but uh, they've been around for such a long time that I'm honestly surprised that this, that they're later in this game. Yeah,
0: I agree. And maybe it's because they uh, have sobered up from their partying days and realized there's really good business in this if they get on the back end of it.
3: Absolutely. They had quite the cast of rotating members over the years, so it might have taken a while to pin down who was going to be a part of this venture.
2: (laughs) Business side (laughs) of things, absolutely. What else is going on in the news this week?
0: Well, interesting story by a writer named Melita Keeley, and this is titled, Lone Wolf Spirits, Vodka Filtration is Nonsense. And uh, this is quoting an article from Spirits Business, and Steve Kersley, who's the head distiller at Lone Wolf Spirits, goes on and on in the article about how clever some of the vodka vodka brands have gotten at talking about their filtration techniques to make vodka. And one of the uh, examples he uses is one of the companies that talks about how they filter their vodka through diamonds to make it an ultra premium vodka before they put it in the bottle, which of course is ludicrous because (laughs) uh, diamonds are an inert uh, entity that that has no impact on the vodka itself. And he talks about how the consumers are falling for a lot of this in the upper premium category and uh, how just get back to basics, use basic charcoal to filter the vodka before it goes in the bottle get the flavor as clean as as possible and then have the product stand on its own without a bunch of the uh waving the magic hands and the hocus pocus that goes into the branding
2: now i'm not advocating for people to uh, falsify claims but if somebody is getting suckered into buying vodka that they believe was filtrated with diamonds i'm also kind of like well that's on you right <laughs> well,
0: well i believe they do actually run it through diamonds
2: oh okay but-
0: there is no impact on the finished product. Is my point?
3: Oh, because okay.
0: Diamonds are inert. There's there's no physical or chemical reaction that can happen. I mean, they're a pretty the rock, right? Yeah,
2: they're shiny. It's
0: it's one of the hardest substances known to man. Uh, and there's no uh, porous uh, facility for the vodka molecules to run through to get filtered. The reason we use activated charcoal is because there are so many small micro holes throughout mm-hmm. the entire charcoal piece that allows the liquid to flow through while capturing the impurities. That's why we use activated charcoal. That's our chemistry lesson for the week. Yay! (laughs) And finally, folks in Washington who are into the cannabis craze right now will be happy to know that one of the founders of Blue Moon Brewing Company is going to launch a new brewery, and it's going to produce a THC-laced cannabis beer. Uh, it's dedicated to the creation of custom and cannabis infused non-alcoholic craft beers so they're going to be making the beer with that alcohol and the uh, high you're going to experience is from the thc instead of alcohol in the beer and it's going to be interesting to see how this gets regulated at the state and and federal level because of course the feds still don't recognize marijuana as a legal thing Mm -hmm. and the states are trying to figure out how to properly manage the marketing and delivery and quality control and taxation of the marijuana side using the alcohol distribution model as the network for delivery. They think that this industry will be worth $6 billion at the end of the year. And by 2026, they think it'll be worth over $50 billion. Oh
2: my gosh. Wow. So yeah, this is the not the first time that we've you know talked about certain products, beer, wine, or spirits that have been least with THC? Is this just something we're going to be hearing more and more about?
0: I think so. Constellation Brands, which is a huge global spirits beer and wine company uh, we talked about it on the show a few months ago, they took a major investment in Canada's largest cannabis producing company uh, because Canada at the federal level has a whole different open approach to how they're regulating and selling marijuana and recognizing them and they're getting into the cannabis infused drinks up there in Canada. In a big way they see it as huge growth and huge market opportunity they have publicly stated they're not going to do that in the u.s until the feds give the marijuana the green light
2: coming up on cast club radio it's one of the most important ingredients in one of the most classic cocktails the old-fashioned we're talking about bitters now there is a huge craft revolution surrounding bitters we get to chat with miles thomas the man behind scrappy's bitters which he started in 2008 How did he go from selling bitters out of the trunk of his car to taking Scrappies International? It's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now, our friend Miles Thomas in studio discussing bitters. We got to hear the story behind his company, Scrappies, which he started 10 years ago. So impressive. It's grown from a small, one-man operation to now Scrappy's being international. That's pretty impressive, 10 years now.
1: Yeah, it's wild. (laughs) I started actually just up the street uh, at Serafina. Oh, yeah. And I bartended there for, like, three-plus years. Uh, And when I was there, it was kind of like my first real bar-bar job, uh, or, like, I should say fancy bar job. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like at that time, like, cocktail scene in Seattle was just developing. Uh, So we were using fresh juice, and there was only like two or three other places doing fresh juice. It was like ZigZag and El Bistro. Actually, I'm not sure if El Bistro was, but there was just a couple of places. And then, uh, you know, that was sort of like kind of towards the end of the flavored vodka craze, where everything was like a flavored martini. Yeah. (laughs) And so... Kind of like our take on that, on the flavored martini thing, was like we were doing all these infusions, so it was like you know, making our own flavored vodka and stuff. And I sort of, uh, well, I had uh, kind of like a mentor there, uh, Chris, who actually still works, uh, I think, at Cicchetti, uh, Serafina as well. Um, but he was super interested in all this stuff and really kind of got me going on a lot of that stuff. And I started to kind of like dig in and and read as much stuff as I could about, other liqueurs and vermouths and stuff and, and basically trying to make them myself behind the bar. And I was somewhat successful on a few things and then started to like, you know, kind of gain some information about what how this stuff works. And so initially I was like I only had there was only a few kinds of bitters available. Mm-hmm. There was the fee, which honestly I'm not I don't I don't like to say too much bad stuff but they, they're the only one I don't really consider bitters because they're not actually a maceration of herbs they're just kind of glycerin and artificial flavors but you know they they do their thing they have their place so anyway there was fees and it was the only one that had like kind of variety of flavors but it was kind of like a bum out because they're all sort of really artificial yeah and then there was angostura and there was pecho and I think regans was out at that point uh it was definitely out at that point um And then Bitter Truth was like kind of sort of coming up right when I was like, I had been sort of tinkering with bitters for a little bit before that, Uh, but they were obviously from Germany, Uh, but they were one of the first guys too. And then there was uh, Bittermans, and they were sort of like kind of underground. They were pretty sort of known in New York, but they weren't really releasing any product. But anyway, before that, I had been working on Uh, all those other things and then uh, somebody gave me a recipe for orange bitters it was for like the Regan's orange bitters yeah who knows if it was real but it was like something off the internet (laughs) and I was like oh yeah okay I'll try it out so I like made it sort of for what it was on the recipe and just to see how that evolved and then was like you know it's okay I think I could do it better right so I sort of tried to make it better and uh you know the first several attempts were definitely not really great (laughs) so i sort of like kind of i don't know uh, i went a little crazy and i decided that i was really interested in this and uh i wanted to kind of figure out how to make you know better bitters and i dove in super deep uh and just kind of like looked for as much information as I could about the topic, but really there was not anything out there at that time. There was some super ancient bar manuals that mm-hmm. um, had, they like touched on some of that information, but didn't really, it was like kind of cryptic, you know, yeah. sort of a different language almost. Uh, so there was really nothing. So I kind of had to d- just like figure it out on my own. Um, and I started to read like herbal, um, medicine manuals and then books about making liqueurs and just other like, uh, things that sort of relate. Uh, and I sort of just trial and errored it. And, uh, eventually I figured out some good stuff, you know, it took a while, but, uh, worked out. And then, uh, I had a bunch of friends that were, other, were bartenders as well and, There was actually this like bitters exchange that we did uh, at one point. That's so cool. And it was like all the pretty much all the bartenders that I respected. I'm sure there were other great bartenders in the city at the time. But um, they somehow uh, somebody decided to do it and it was at Liberty Bar. No, it was at 22 Doors, which is now something different. Anyway, a bunch of us got together and we were like, you had to make enough bitters to give bitters out to everybody that that came. So it was basically huh. like an exchange. Yeah. So I made lavender bitters and everybody kind of had their own take on their own stuff. And it was really interesting because I was like, you know, all these guys are awesome bartenders, but nobody has a clue how to make bitters. So yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, you know, I should probably turn this into a business. And uh, actually, I was. I didn't really have any money or anything like that. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And I got my business license online. (laughs) And even though it was highly illegal, my very first batch was made in my apartment.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And it
1: was like one case of each flavor. And I think it was only like three flavors at the time. And I literally just like a friend of mine i didn't i don't even think i had a car then a friend of mine loaded up uh or loaded me up in their car and we drove around to like places where i knew all the bar managers and i was like hey this is what i'm doing if you want to support me yeah. <laughs> you can buy some now
2: out of my car don't <laughs> Literally, worry about yeah.
1: it <laughs> and it was like that was just kind of the beginning, and then I just started getting phone calls, and people were like, I like this. Can I get more? And it just started getting ordered, and I just, I, I worked still as a bartender for, you know, the first four, four and a half years of the business, and eventually, you know, I, it was doing well enough that I needed to spend all my time on it, but that was sort of like the beginning, very humble beginnings. At one point, I was also uh, delivering bitters on my bicycle, <laughs> like so on a cool. sunny day. So yeah, n- but now we're global, so we're everywhere. Uh, in
2: 10 years, man. That's not even that long.
1: I guess not. I mean, I don't know. I feel good about it, especially with having uh, very little help. But I did have actually have some really wonderful people in the city help me out in in, in the industry as well, um, notably uh, Patrick Keaton. Mm-hmm. him and uh, Ethan Stoll used to be partners, yeah. and they had... Uh, In the tavalot on second avenue there's a whole prep kitchen downstairs and they do all their pasta there now and uh before that it was like a big pasta making place and you know ethan was selling pasta everywhere uh it was kind of just like an extra prep kitchen and so they're like hey if you need a space you can use our prep kitchen and you can have this closet down here that was just basically like a broom closet super tiny and then let me have it like rent free, basically. That's so neat. So I'd go there and work on stuff, and that was kind of how I started, because you know I I couldn't didn't have the money to rent a space or anything, and so I was there for a whole year, and that was really like kind of the uh, sort of jump start I needed to make it work.
2: Well, it's probably a testament to the person you are as well. I I find that well, it's pretty much no small business that just gets off the ground by itself. It usually takes a little bit, takes a village, so to speak. I agree. It takes some yeah, friends.
1: very much so. Yeah.
2: Was it just a need that you saw in the market that, a at the time was either the bitters was artificial like you said or the flavor profile wasn't there? What what was it that you saw that just didn't exist that you wanted to make?
1: I think it was a little bit of both. It was um, you know I was kind of bummed out on the on what was available because you know Angostura is not bad bitters but it has tons of caramel color and red dye. Uh, and you know the formula's changed over the time over time, and you know to be a more mass uh, produced item. Uh, and then you know, Paychows all right too. It's just kind of weak, and the it's kind of just for the red dye, in my opinion. And Regan's is like it's not bad, but you know it's kind of weak, <laughs> weak as well, and it's sort of like dusty almost.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm saying all these bad things. I should no. stop. Uh, And then, yeah, it was just fees. So I was kind of bummed out because, you know, if you're making like a high, like a top shelf old fashioned and you're using fancy whiskey, like why wouldn't you have super fancy bitters to put in it as well and like super high quality stuff? So, yeah, I was really kind of disappointed on a the sort of what was available and the quality of what was available as well. And so I sort of saw it as this thing of like, well, I can make this better. You know, how can I make the best version of this? So. That was really kind of my uh, pursuit of perfection on that thing where I'm just like, this could be so much better. And I feel like now the product that I put out, I mean, actually the first like two and a half, three years sort of evolved, you know, as I learned more about what I was doing. If I could figure out, if I figured out ways to make it better, I definitely wanted to implement that. Because for me, it was about having the best product. I wasn't as concerned with things, but now I'm super happy with it and it's very consistent. But uh, I think now it's really a a perfect representation of how good bitters can be.
2: Coming up on Cast Club Radio, more from our friend Miles. We hear more about the craft bitter scene, including different flavors of bitters that you can incorporate into your cocktails, and also. It's not just for drinking. Different uses for bitters as well. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks so much for being here with us. Right now, Miles Thomas in studio. He even brought me pastries, which is so nice. He is the creative mind behind Scrappy's Bitters, founded in 2008. So 10 years now, you're about to celebrate your 10-year anniversary. Today, we want to get you in studio, not just for the pastries, but also to ask you the story about how Scrappy's got started. Plus, there's no one better to ask about the craft movement surrounding bitters. How has bitters really taken off, especially locally?
1: Yeah, I guess the craft revolution of bitters is pretty different obviously than the like original kind of revolution of bitters uh and i i think the northwest has got quite a bit of bitters for sure i mean i think there's a lot of speculation but a lot of people think that at least the the theory that i heard that i i think sounds the most right is we sort of have a bitter palate because we drink so much coffee here and so it's like sort of That sort of drives it. I'm not sure if that's true, but it seems to make sense. I I
2: like it. It seems rational.
1: Uh, I think, too, like the evolution of drinking in general of like the cocktail culture when I go to new markets. Generally, a newer market has like some usually a sweeter palate. And as they sort of evolve, the palate dries out. So at least when I see where the cocktail culture is really like uh, well developed uh, usually their palates are a little drier their drinks are a less sweet um, so yeah I don't know it's uh, I don't I don't I can't tell you why but
2: maybe just, a couple of different reasons What does that mean for a palate to dry out?
1: Um, just like maybe you want more booze forward or you want your drink to be more balanced and less sweet
2: for people who don't know or who might be interested in your story of how you, just started making them on your own what is what goes into the process of making bitters
1: it's somewhat of a simple process uh i mean so the gist of it is uh you're extracting um herbs, fruits, spices um from, you know, uh into alcohol so or or into anything you just need an extraction so uh alcohol is a really good solvent and it's an edible one Uh, So usually that's the one to use and traditionally that's what's been used in the past as well. So it's kind of like part of the whole ethos of what bitters is. Um, But yeah, you're just trying to make a concentration of flavor. So initially it was meant to be a medicine, but we're not necessarily concerned about that so much anymore. However, anything that's bitter that touches your palate sort of activates, uh, you know, the digestion system, and it's basically your body's natural response to break down poisons. So normally when you taste something bitter, your body would instinctually think it's poison and it would start to activate and kind of try to break it down. And so... In that sense, it, it really does activate your digestion system. Um, so it's medicinal regardless as long as it has some bitterness to it. So. But bitterness is also really important. So you're, you're extracting some flavor, but the important piece is you also have to have a bitterness. Uh, and the bitter, bittering ingredients can vary greatly, but uh, the bitterness is uh, sort of the backbone of the whole thing. And it really is kind of what smooths out the... Uh, the sharpness of the alcohol, and it's kind of the binder of flavors. It really kind of brings the top and bottom notes together and sort of creates its own flavor. Uh, so we do like some seminars, usually in new markets, and I'm, I am kind of feel bad and a little guilty that I haven't done it in Seattle in a very long time. But we do these demonstrations where we sort of, we'll, we'll make a bunch of cocktails for people, and we'll give them basically a naked version without bitters, yeah. and then another version with bitters, and then another version with two types of bitters. And so you can kind of see the evolution of how the drink works well, and also how what the bitters do to the drink. And so I think uh, for a lot of people that use bitters, um, it's important to kind of do these demonstrations just for yourself. Like a super easy one to do is just take a shot of, whiskey uh try it without and then add a couple dashes of bitter to your shot of whiskey and just see what happens you know it's like um I feel like a lot of the time people get caught up in uh just making the drink and they don't know they don't understand how the components change it and so just doing like some basic stuff I think is uh real eye-opening and kind of gives you a better understanding of what's going on there
2: of everything that's going into your drink Mm -hmm. So what are some of the best uses for...
1: There's a lot of great uses. I actually drink a lot of bitters and soda.
2: We've talked about that <laughs> before because Maura, she's unfortunately not here today, but she was bartender for a long time and she said lots of people used to request that. So yeah, club soda. And
1: yeah, drinks. it's kind of a nice like reset too. Like sometimes uh, in between drinks I'll have a big bitters and soda and it's just like a way to drink some more water and kind of slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I drink a lot less nowadays, so... And, you know, it's still got some flavor, and the bubbles are sort of exciting, so (laughs) (laughs) it's good for that. But, yeah, it's great in cocktails, obviously. uh, People have been using it in coffee a lot lately. Really? And, yeah, we have uh, a pretty cool Instagram right now, Uh, and it's got a bunch of... Uh, We try to, like, uh, engage the community a lot in our Instagram account. So we'll feature a lot of other people's content and give them credit and links to them and everything. But we have some really cool um, baristas and baristos, or I'm not sure of the terms, but uh, (laughs) making really cool stuff. And actually, we just started um, selling to Starbucks, (laughs) which is interesting because they, uh, you know, they – have sort of changed their uh, their model a little bit with their roastery and reserve stores. Reserve, so yeah. they're definitely trying to pick up the pieces in the sense of create uh, much uh, stronger products in the uh, boutique category and quality category. And I think they're doing a really good job. And their uh, cold brew drinks really lend themselves to bitters. Um, and so they've been making a couple of things. Uh, they have one in, uh, you well, know, they have, I was just actually in Shanghai, so uh, they just built a huge roastery in Shanghai. So if you've been to the one here in Seattle, the one in Shanghai is like two to three times larger. It's enormous. And they have a, a malt on the menu. It's so it's like vanilla ice cream, malt powder, and uh, cold brew coffee and uh, Scrappy's chocolate bitters. And so we're doing a lot of chocolate bitters with Starbucks right now. So that's kind of been a new thing that's pretty fun.
2: What is your Instagram account so people can follow you?
1: (laughs) It's uh, Scrappy's Bitters. That's it. Okay, perfect. Because,
2: yeah, it sounds like that right there is inspiration for people.
1: Yeah, it's good. We have actually the highest followership of any bitters brand by far. We're like almost 70K, but... Uh, you know, we've done a lot of work to kind of engage the audience and and kind of build a community through that. So I think it's been really positive.
2: Well, it's obviously working because we're talking about your 10th anniversary, which is really cool. So tell me about this. You're having a party, right?
1: Yeah. Still uh, in the works? Still, uh, we, yeah, we haven't uh, finalized anything yet, but okay. it'll definitely be somewhere in Seattle proper. And, uh, you know, I usually have some sort of circus elements come in and perform. And uh, we just started another company uh, doing canned cocktails called Half Seas. And I'm working on uh, a new canned cocktail, which is basically, it's, it's kind of a cocktail. I don't know if everybody would consider it a cocktail, but it'll be a uh, vermouth spritzer, basically. So vermouth, mineral water, and bitters. Uh, and that's going to be a lower ABV, uh, kind of like a 5 6% sort of the beer category. Um, And it'll be made of vermouth, so it'll be in the wine category. So you won't be restricted with a liquor license to carry it or buy it. Um, So that'll be really exciting. I'm really excited for that. The canned cocktails are already out. They're in Whole Foods and Total Wines right now and hopefully soon to be all the other grocery stores. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, I'm not sure how everything's going to pan out. It's kind of a new thing. It's a new category. Um, but I think it, so far it's been received really well. So that'll be there at the party. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some other sponsors. To the great thing about having a bitters company is that there's really almost no limit to who you can collaborate with because uh, you know there's so many great spirits out there and they're not making bitters, so they are happy to collab. So
2: that's really cool. Where can people find out more information about Scrappies or pick up your products?
1: Uh, yeah, Scrappies is available in most of the developed world. Yeah. Uh, you can get it all over the place. Uh in Seattle specifically, Dilarente. Dilarente. Yeah, they were one of our first stores. So they they have it still. And there's maybe like three or four other shops in the market. Madison Market on Queen Anne has it. I think all the Whole Foods do. There's Sugar Pill on Capitol Hill, the 12th Avenue Liquor Store. I mean, it's everywhere in Seattle. Seattle's our home market, and uh, we do we do well here. But I think you can get it on Amazon. You can find more about Scrappy's Bitters on uh, Scrappy'sBitters.com or on our Instagram account, uh, just at Scrappy's Bitters, and Facebook as well. Facebook, we don't quite have the engagement, but it's still there.
2: And what about the uh, the new business venture? Where can people find out about that? Because canned cocktails is a it's a taken off trend.
1: It is, yeah. You can get that on uh, well, it's available in Whole Foods and Total Wine right now. Um, you can find out about more about it on uh, halfseas.com or uh, at halfseas at uh, on Instagram, and I believe we're on probably Twitter and uh, Facebook. I don't run any of the social media stuff, so that's okay. A little.
2: I'm,
3: I'm,
1: I'm
2: putting you on the spot, man. <laughs> Well, Miles, the last question we usually ask people is if you were throwing a cocktail party, what would you what would be your drink of choice? What would you make?
1: Mm, I don't know. That's a. T- I mean, do I have to make it? Can somebody else make Someone it? Someone else make it. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Why not? It's your party.
1: I don't know. I mean, as far as like a classic drink that people re- I actually I really like to drink Negronis. And actually a Negroni with a little bit of grapefruit bitters is pretty cool. Uh, or a uh, Negroni. Uh, uh, Let's see. A mescal Negroni with chocolate bitters is really awesome too. Um, I'm a big Negroni fan. Um, I really like gin drinks. I like um, gin and eau de vie drinks with bitters. I don't know. I can't. I don't know if I have like a cocktail that I'm like, this is the one I want to I'm like drink making all you pick time. between
2: kids. Today. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. You know? Well, those all sound like good options. So you're allowed. to. It's your party. I think you can have as many as you want.
1: Sure. <laughs>
2: Thank you so much. For, my pleasure for talking to us about bitters today
1: yeah my so, pleasure thank you thanks for having me
2: thank you so much to the owner the man behind scrappy's bitters for taking time out of his busy schedule to hop in studio and chat and bring me carbs up next on cast club radio we chatted with miles a little bit about the canned cocktail revolution it could just be the next big thing it's next on cast club radio back to cast club radio now we've heard about canned beer for ages we've all had one what do you guys think about this new trend of canned wine and canned cocktails
0: well we're seeing canned wine hit a lot of the weddings where they're starting to get the canned wine and the canned sparkling wine to serve in the reception instead of full bottles of wine and that way people can take it home and it's kind of one of those uh, wedding giveaway things The issue is always perception of quality, so really people, when they think about canned wine, they think about, well, it's just like if I'm going to go on a picnic and I don't want to bring the whole big bottle or I want to go camping, but they always have this perception that the quality is lower or the quality is less. Same thing on the canned cocktails or what we call ready-to-drink RTDs, uh, premixed cocktails in a can. There's always been this assumption that. Well, because of how it's been packaged and put together, it just is not going to be as good a quality as if I make a fresh uh, cocktail from scratch. So David McIntyre, one of the writers of the Washington Post, has started to examine the trend, and they noticed that the quality of the ready-to-drink cocktails coming out now far surpass what was available for the last few years, and the trend has gotten so hot that the makers of the RTDs have to really screw up to uh, fall on their face. In other words, the trend is so hot, the consumer demand is so high right now that they virtually can print money as long as they can get their ducks in a row.
2: Wow. I would think that maybe part of the stigma to get over is the boxed wine that was Mm -hmm. so prevalent for so long Mm -hmm. still is. but. Yeah. Sort of making that transition between everybody's like, oh, boxed wine. I mean, I've had some and I've had some delicious boxed wine. At the same time, there isn't that implication of high quality. And uh, so maybe part of that moving to canned wine is, is getting over that hump. I've recently yeah. tried one from Portland that I absolutely loved, made by Union Wine Co. And not only great visual display in, in the can itself, but also a great product. So I've been I've been a part of this trend.
0: Yeah. Well, it's... the packaging for cans is so much lighter than glass, yeah. And the environmental impact on aluminum is so much less than glass. Uh, that's why people are moving in that direction. You see the crowlers, which you go to a brewery. It's a bigger growler-sized can, and you get it filled, and they Ooh, actually yeah. put a can top on it, and then you can re- reuse that crowler uh, vessel when you go back into the brewery the next time.
3: Yeah, I think it's. It's kind of like Lydia said. Sometimes it just takes people a while to adjust. They assume anything new is, is maybe not as good a quality. Because I also remember when I was, when I was a server and a bartender, that when the wine twist top started instead of cork, people mm. just assumed that those bottles were of a lesser quality. Yeah. That the and then yeah, it's same thing with the box wine. But as you know, we make advances. I, I think that uh, you can have a pretty good canned wine as well, and then also the cocktails because I there's you know there's a certain. Beer company that makes like a margarita in a can that always (laughs) seemed unappetizing to me. But once again, there's been some evolution in the canned cocktail industry. And actually, our friend Miles Thomas, who we talked to last segment, shared with us that on top of Scrappy's Bitters, he also has unveiled this new brand, Half Seas, that are canned cocktails. And he gave us some to try. And he features cocktails like Daiquiris, Palomas, one of my favorite, which is a grapefruit soda and tequila cocktail. Um, He has a bramble with gin and berries, and um, they're all canned. They're not too sweet. They're delicious. You would never expect that from a canned cocktail, or at least I didn't, and it's so convenient. I feel like I would take these on a camping trip in a heartbeat.
0: Yeah, the issue in a state like Washington is the tax on spirits is so out of whack. It's the only state that taxes spirits the the way we do uh, versus other states. And the reason that RTDs and pre-canned cocktails don't have as much success in Washington is because the state applies a secondary volume tax on the size of your vessel. So you could have a canned cocktail that is $2, but there's a second tax that goes on top of it to the consumer at the cash register that's gonna add another uh, 50 or 60 cents of tax on top of the regular sales tax for liquor, which is 20.5%. So now you look at that and you say, why am I going to spend a dollar in tax on something that costs $2 on the shelf? I'm not going to buy that.
3: i encourage you to but go for a bottle instead.
0: Correct. Yeah. And that's the pushback that, other that you are alternative- seeing in Washington.
3: That makes sense.
0: But when they asked customers, they did surveys, and they said, what don't you like about the ready-to-drink cocktails, RTDs? They, 21% said they were too sweet. Mm. Uh, 13% too many artificial ingredients, which is a big deal. And 9% thought they were low quality. That's that perception issue. But then when they asked the question, what appeals to you about RTD cocktails, 44% said it's the quick solution. Just open it and pour And I don't need all the other ingredients, mix and mess and wash in and everything else. I can just open the can and go. So whether it's canned wine, uh, like a nice can of Chardonnay, or a ready-to-drink cocktail, at the picnics and your barbecues, loading these cans up in the cooler cover of the ice, you are out the door ready to go.
2: We are in that age, that era of so many different things competing for our attention and our time. So anything that brings convenience and efficiency to our lives, I'm definitely... All four.
0: And the right size can will fit in the koozie.
2: There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Well, we also have a pretty easy
3: cocktail for everyone this week, right, Justin?
0: We do. This week, we're celebrating, again, we're in baseball season and we're excited about that. And we're celebrating our BSB churro. So it's pretty easy. We take two ounces of our BSB brown sugar bourbon, a third ounce of lime juice, and I guess, again, uh, fresh lime, cut it in half, squeeze it, get the fresh lime juice, and then ginger ale. And uh, first thing you're going to do is maybe get a little cinnamon sugar. You can make that at home with cinnamon powder and sugar, uh, equal parts. You're going to get your glass wet on the rim, dip in the cinnamon sugar, and then put the ice in. And then you pour in two ounces of BSB, brown sugar bourbon, a third ounce of that lime juice, and top it with ginger ale. And uh, you can also get a fresh churro and slice off a little skewer and garnish it on the drink with the churro slice.
2: Now, this is the BSB baseball cocktail of the year, right? So intended intended to be enjoyed with a with a nice baseball game. Sounds pretty refreshing. It is.
0: It is. And uh, again, it follows on the announcement we made last week. BSB was named Best Flavored Whiskey in the World by Whiskey Magazine at the annual uh, whiskey tasting competition they had this year. So people who get BSB are not going to enjoy the best flavored whiskey in the world, according to the expert judges.
2: That is pretty darn cool. Well, if you want to check out this cocktail recipe or any of our past cocktail recipes, download any past episodes of Cast Club Radio. As always, you can go to heritagedistilling.com. You can also go to cairoradio.com, click on the podcast tab, and just head on over to Cast Club Radio.
0: You can also find us on Facebook at Cast Club Radio. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes.
2: Perfect. Well, have a great time down there in Las Vegas at the uh, Rockabilly Festival, and we'll see everybody next week.
0: Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling, part of Cairo Weekends on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Check us
2: out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask
0: Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM.